0: Dead. That short, sharp, blunt word is as jarring and horrible to say out loud as it is to experience. Death is a startlingly strong and powerful thing, isn't it? Our human minds have trouble processing and and making sense of death. Medicine and doctors can do a lot to keep death away for a time, but ultimately, death is too strong for us it comes inevitably unexpectedly and so often in the worst and most tragic of circumstances raises all the big questions. Why that person? Why now? Why do good people die and bad people don't? Did God plan it? Did he allow it? Was it just random, meaningless chance? And if it's all just random, meaningless chance, what gives any meaning to our lives at all? You know, when we talk of death in relation to bushfires and floods and COVID and and war. It might just be a distant reality but eventually one day death is going to get up close, in our face and so very very personal and the questions you ask are going to get very very big. Yeah, is there any hope or meaning that we can make for experience of death? Is death the end? Are the rumours true? Is there life after death? Is it possible to know this side of the grave if there is more? Or should we all just make most of now, like the philosopher in Ecclesiastes in the Bible, who says, Just eat, drink and find satisfaction in our daily work, because that is seemingly all there is so here's the big question what if we could believe that there's life after death what if on the balance of probabilities we could say yes there is good reason and good evidence to suggest that we can keep on living after we've died more than that what if the pain and the hurt and the confusion we feel over death is actually itself a comforting reminder that God has made us for eternity. Can we believe that there is life after death? Well, I think that Easter answers that question. They say it's better to under-promise and over-deliver rather than over-promising and under-delivering and, and watching that video, perhaps I've overpromised <laughs> this afternoon uh, and, and in promising to give you all of the, the, the answers to your big questions about death. Um, and the reality is all I have time for this afternoon is to just point you in the direction that I, I think you should look. Uh, to, to give you some some thoughts and ideas to continue to explore, or to give you some thoughts and ideas to equip you to have conversations with your friends and family about death each easter sunday it's it 's fairly inevitable you 're going to hear this phrase: Jesus is not dead. Have you heard that one a few times today yet <laughs> You'll hear Jesus died, that's Good Friday, isn't it? But now he's not dead, that's Easter Sunday, he's alive. And and really the phrase Jesus is alive is as predictable at Easter as people's long weekend camping holidays and your guilt about eating too many chocolate Easter eggs. But is it true? Is it relevant? Does it actually change anything in our lives? Or is it just this thing us religious people say at Easter. Many people say, well, yes, it is true, and it's of immeasurable significance. Perhaps you're one of those people. Uh, If you are, you're in good company, because uh, C.S. Lewis, who you might know as the author of the Chronicles of Narnia series, he says this, he says, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Jesus is alive. That's a big claim, isn't it? And it's either false and about as important as whether you eat one Easter egg or two today or more. If it's true, though, It has eternal consequences, doesn't it? If it's true, it answers our big question about life after death because if Jesus won the battle against death, then as the story goes, you can too. In the Bible, in the book of Acts, we've been been working through the book of Acts, haven't we? And in chapter 4, Uh, there's the story that we've been looking at of Peter and John. And remember, they've they've healed someone and they've been speaking to the crowds of people about Jesus. And the leaders didn't like what they were saying. In fact, they were so upset and disturbed by the things that Peter was saying that they had them arrested. And you know what? We're, we're, We're told that the thing that really upset the leaders... The thing that really got under their skin made them really mad was that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there's a resurrection of the dead. That's Acts chapter 4 verse 2. Through Jesus, there's a resurrection of the dead and that's what Peter and John were teaching. That Peter and John were saying that, you know what? Through Jesus, the dead are made not dead. Through Jesus, there's life after death. Peter and John are basically preaching the message of Easter, aren't they? And some people found it rather offensive. Doesn't mean it's not true, though, does it? I mean, you, you, you could personally think, or maybe your family members personally think, that this resurrection stuff is silly. Personally, I think rabbits giving us chocolate Easter eggs at Easter is rather silly. But just because we think that something is silly doesn't mean it's not true, does it? And so if anyone has any credible evidence that the Easter bunny is real, come and see me afterwards. I want to hear from you. Why are Peter and John telling people that through Jesus there's a resurrection of the dead? especially when it's getting them into so much trouble. Like it'd be easier to just believe in the bunny, wouldn't it? John eleven twenty five 25 says, uh, it says, Jesus then said, I am the one who raises the dead to life. Everyone who has faith in me will live, even if they die. The Bible tells us that Jesus, he's the author of life. He's the founder of life. He's the originator of life. He's the prince of life. He's the ruler of life. You know what? When you kill the founder and ruler of life on a cross, he just doesn't stay dead. Peter says in verse 10, referring to Jesus, he says, Jesus is this, the the man you crucified, you killed him, but God raised him from the dead. And so the claim of the Bible, the claim of Easter is that there is life after death for those who have faith in Jesus because Jesus has power over death. Do you believe that? If Jesus were to write a resume, this is what his resume would have on it. Skills, you always got to put your skills on a resume, don't you? Skills, raising dead people to life. It's all well and good to say that you've got skills, but have you actually got any qualifications? Well, his qualifications would be listed there next, wouldn't they? Son of God. It's a pretty good qualification for for raising dead people to life. Author of life. There is qualifications. It's all well and good saying you've got these qualifications on a resume and saying you've even got skills. But the reality is, unless you've got experience to back it up, you could just be fibbing, couldn't you? People want to know, well, do you have any experience at doing those things? Don't they? So there we go on Jesus' resume, experience. He died, rose rose from the dead, walked out of the tomb, showed himself to people, taught them, and ate a piece of fish. There's some experience right there. So it boils down to this, guys. If Jesus was resurrected, we can be too. But can we really believe it? I mean, sometimes, sometimes we, we're sitting in church for so long, for so many years, we've heard it since we were like a, you know, a baby in a stroller, and we just get a bit numb to it. And I'm looking at people here today and and I'm seeing a lot of people who've probably been in church since they were a baby in a pram. Am I right? Maybe you get a bit numb to it because you've heard it all before. It's just this religious stuff. Is it really true or is it just something we we, we say at Easter to feel good or is it just something nice to post on our social media feeds? Our big question today then really is, is there actually any credible evidence for believing this Jesus is not dead stuff? What evidence is there? I'm going to give you two two reasons Two reasons why I think It is credible to believe the resurrection Of Jesus and then I'm going to Give you one reason why I think Death actually points to resurrection The concept of resurrection Alright um, Unfortunately I'm only going to really point You in the direction of these things I really Don't have time to to, to, to Go into depth here today To give you a a, a, a a Big long lecture Okay I'm really just going to point you in the direction that you need to look and search a bit more. So here's the first reason I think it's credible to believe the resurrection. We have evidence from history. Evidence from history. Any historians here? No? Come on. Someone's got to be interested in history. Yeah, we've got a a few people interested in history. (laughs) Let's just say you wanted to find out, like we've got Anzac Day coming up, right? Let's just say uh, you wanted to know a bit more about what happened in World War I, history. You weren't there, were you? And we can't sort of grab World War I and stick it under a microscope and test it scientifically Can we? That's ridiculous. How do we know what happened in World War I? Source material. Brilliant. We've got two historians in the room today. (laughs) So there's historical documents, isn't there? Letters, diary entries, newspaper reports, field reports, things that were created by people close to the events, people who witnessed the events in some way, okay? Okay. Now, there are ways to tell, aren't there, whether uh, a piece, particular piece of information is propaganda from World War I or not. There are ways to tell whether a particular piece of information is credible, whether it's reliable. Now, let's think about the Bible for a moment. I think people forget, maybe, or maybe they don't realise, I, I don't know, but... The Bible is a historical source document. It's full of letters. It's full of descriptions. It's full of reports. It's full of eyewitness accounts of real events involving real people that took place over 2,000 years ago. And there are whole academic research departments dedicated to looking to the Bible's claims about Jesus and the testimony of those historical eyewitnesses and writers. Don't go to Google to to find out if, if the Bible is a credible source or not. Google doesn't have the same qualifications that your friendly local academic um, professor is going to have. You, you, you've got to go to the people who know this stuff. All right, so if you've been Googling about, you know, is Jesus real, you're going to get trash. You've got to go to the people who know this stuff. Now, you, you can't just write the Bible off as being biased religious propaganda because you don't like the implications of what it is saying. And I think when most people write off the Bible as religious propaganda, it's actually because they personally just don't want to follow and live out its implications. Academics, both religious and non-religious ones, they are actually able to agree that we, um, are on the information that we have about the historical figure of Jesus, and they actually, um, you know, there's the bits and pieces of variation here and there, but for the most part, they agree that the historical figure of Jesus is, the information we have is reliable, credible, and trustworthy. Now, Not everyone's going to agree on what the impact this information should then have on your personal, moral, religious or spiritual life. But as far as the information goes, secular and religious academics agree. We've got some good quality information there about Jesus that that is credible and it is reliable. And then add to that, there's actually quite a lot of historical information outside the Bible that corroborates the claims the Bible makes about Jesus. Now, I don't have time to go into details, but there's plenty of information I can point you to. John Dixon's Jesus History is a good way or place to start. But 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 there is definitely enough historical evidence to credibly believe The resurrection of Jesus happened. And so when it comes to our faith, when it comes to your faith in the resurrection power of Jesus, I want you to know this. It's not just a matter of kind of wishing that it's true and then believing that it's true without any solid, tangible evidence. There is enough here to satisfy your intellect, whether you choose to accept it or not. Is another thing. And if you want to delve into this stuff, as I said, there are places that I can point to. Alpha, the Alpha course, is a great entry-level course. Or well, for regulars, we're doing an apologetics course this term. Jump on in either in person or on the Zoom to this apologetics course, because it's going to cover some of this stuff in a bit more detail. So that's the that's the first reason why I think. Um, It's credible to believe the resurrection. There's there's evidence from history. Uh, But the second type of evidence I want to suggest is a a little bit different, but I I think just as significant. And that's evidence from nature. Okay? Evidence from nature. When you look around, you are going to either see a world that is the product of complete random chance, where you think nothing is is really uh, designed or ordered in in that sense. Nothing is planned. It's kind of just accidental. There's no greater being behind the scenes, bringing life into the universe. That that could be your opinion when you look at nature. Or I suspect probably most of us are going to sit in this second category today. You'll see evidence of a creator God who brings order and life into the universe all right, and this Creator God not only made the laws of the universe, but as the lawmaker, as the lawmaker, this being is plausibly able to cross those natural laws. Agreed? He's able to suspend those natural laws for a moment. Plausible that he can, if he made them, of course he can. He can do what he likes. He's able to do that and 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 do things that we would call miracles, like bringing dead people back to life. So you're going to fit into one of those two camps, aren't you? So for atheists, the implication of this is that it it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much credible, historical or any other information that uh, you, you presented for the resurrection of Jesus. Like Jesus could literally appear to you in person and you probably still won't believe that Jesus is alive, you'll probably think you've been working too hard and you need to head off to the GP and get some antipsychotic meds for yourself. If you don't believe in a God behind the scenes who's able and and quite frankly has the right to work outside of the natural laws of the universe, there's never going to be a credible reason to believe that Jesus was resurrected 2,000 years ago because your world view Blocks it. Your cognitive filter just doesn't allow you to believe it. If, if, however, you look at things like science and maths and art and beauty and nature and you see that there must be a lawmaker. There must be a creator behind all of that. And you'll also know, as John Dixon says, that if such a being can miraculously order inanimate molecules into life-giving DNA and develop unthinking organisms into fully rational minds, then to believe that this same creator might also raise Jesus from the dead, well, that's not much of a leap At all, is it? Not at all. Is it credible to believe the resurrection of Jesus? Well, I would say yes. If you believe that there is a creator, lawmaker behind all of this, then plausibly it follows that this creator is willing to not only make, but remake life. That is to resurrect Jesus and to resurrect his followers too. And so I think that when it comes to believing in the resurrection of Jesus or when it comes to telling your family and your friends about Jesus, there are two easy places to start. Point them to the historical evidence and point them outside. I think, though, the other thing that, possibly on a more personal level, Points us to the resurrection is actually our own experiences of death. When someone dies, we experience so many big and complicated things, don't we? You might experience anger. You know, this just, it's just not right. Shouldn't have happened. There's often a real sense of injustice, isn't there, that comes with the death of someone. You think that person, they were were too young to die. They were a good person. Why did they die? Why did they have to die so suddenly? Or maybe the flip side, why was their death so long and painful and drawn out? Have you ever asked those questions? There's also often a lot of disbelief, isn't there? confusion. Have you noticed how difficult it is for, for our brains to conceptualize death and to sort of understand that that, that person that, that was here yesterday, that we saw smiling and talking and our breathing and were alive, and they were doing things with us, they're now kind of gone? Have you experienced that sense of disbelief, confusion when someone dies? And then what about the pain? Oh, there's an overwhelming avalanche of emotion. It feels terrible, it's overwhelming. Perhaps there's even physical pain for you too. I bet you all know that pain. Ultimately, you would have to agree that death doesn't feel right. Does it? The questions, the confusion, the disbelief, the pain... I think they are all indicators or all evidence that we are not made for death. Death sits painfully and awkwardly with us because death is not natural for a living creature. It's it's an indicator that humanity was in fact designed for life, designed to live forever. We weren't made to die. We were made for eternity. Ecclesiastes 3 says that eternity has been set in our hearts by God. You know, you you feel deep inside that there's something just terribly not quite right with this world, something terribly wrong for all its beauty and potential. Something's just broken, isn't it? Think about the Garden of Eden for a moment. We were made and we were put in the Garden of Eden to eat of the tree of life and so live forever, weren't we? This world was created good, but it was then broken by sin and selfishness. You know, with the free will that God gave all of us, God gave you and you and you and you, the free will that God gave us. We chose to rule ourselves. In doing so, you know what? A whole new set of laws came into this world. The law of frustration and toil and pain. The law of broken relationships and the law of death. Romans 8. I suggest you have a read of that one later today. Romans 8 talks about the groaning and the crying of God's creation, longing to be liberated from this world of decay. Creation knows its promised life, not death. It's the the cry of our spirits groaning as we eagerly wait for the promised redemption of our bodies We've been promised a physical eternity with our Heavenly Father and every time we experience death in the here and now, we groan and we cry and we long for the fulfilment of that promise. Deep in our spiritual DNA, deep in our human identity, there's this echo of Eden. There's a hope. There's a knowing, there's a there's a we know that there is more than this present reality. And we look for it, don't we? And we long for it. Death just doesn't sit right with us because we're made for life. Is that true? Do you believe that? Do you believe that you and your loved ones are made for life? And so for me, you know, you can argue me with me if you want, but. It just makes logical sense to believe that God has a plan for the ongoing life of his beloved creation, that he has a plan for our resurrection, that even though we or others die, if they are in Christ, they will be raised again. I'm thinking that deserves an amen. (laughs) This makes more sense of my experiences of grief and loss, hey? than to believe that there is no God, he has no plan, this is all there is. Moments of pleasure in this lifetime, followed by death. I tell you what, you'd get around, you'd just be such a cynical, bitter, joyless person, wouldn't you? If that's what you believed, oh my goodness, throw off that load and be yoked with Jesus, come on. (laughs) Through Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead, Acts chapter 4, verse 2. How good's that? Of course, the catch with this resurrection, you've got to tag along with Jesus. It's the only way you're going to get it. I don't know if you know this, but there's no eternal life in yourself, is there? Last time I checked, none of us here are the author of life, are we? Anyone got a book out, author of life? No. No. Anyone got the tree of life in there, planted in their backyard? Eat of the fruit of it and live forever? No, no one has access to the tree of life. Really? Yeah. Only Jesus is able to get you access to that. Acts 4.2, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So with all of this, what should we do? No surprises. Guess what I'm going to say? Believe. Believe. Receive Jesus. Tell your friends. Believe. Receive Jesus. Remember that quote I shared earlier from C.S. Lewis? Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, it's of... It's on the board, guys. Come on if true, it's of infinite importance The only thing it cannot be is Moderately important Thank you Now, some of you Maybe Maybe most of you here You live wholeheartedly Within and for Jesus, don't you? He's at the centre of your life right now And he'll be at the centre of your resurrection and eternity. Jesus is of infinite importance to you. And to you, to you I say, well done, good and faithful servant. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep running the race. Don't stop. I'm so glad that when you die, I'm going to know where to find you. Hey, and you'll know where to find me. Others, maybe you're in the room, maybe maybe you're listening to the recording, I don't know. But you think, you know what, this Jesus stuff, it is all rubbish. You are certain that you don't want Jesus at the centre of your life now. You don't think there's an eternity and if there was, you certainly wouldn't want Jesus to be at the centre of that either. Jesus is of no importance whatsoever. And to you, I would say, well, I encourage you to explore the historical aspects of Jesus a bit more before you kind of lock yourself into that because you know what? By definition, eternity is a long time. Look closer at the natural world and just think about the logical implications there. And I know where I'm going to find you too. No, no, just kidding. For some people, though, for some people, um, you're like, yeah, you know, yeah, I believe, I I think, yeah. You know, that stuff about Jesus at the cross, I suppose it's important, isn't it? Maybe occasionally you say a prayer. Occasionally you think about God here and there from time to time. Maybe you come along to church irregularly, or... Not often at all. And you think, well, you know, yeah, uh, I believe. Maybe. Maybe not. You're not too sure, really. You know, because you're busy, aren't you? Like you're busy. There's a lot of, a lot of other stuff that takes your time. You just kind of don't have a lot of time for this God stuff. And, and so Jesus is is Moderately moderately important to you. And if there's an eternity, you kind of hope that somehow you've met the requirements to get there, but you don't really know. And I say to these people, I say, please, please make a decision one way or the other and follow it up with action. You know, if you are a follower of Jesus, please live like one. Don't, Don't leave your family and friends wondering After you've gone, one day you will die, and people are going to be asking, Where is that person? Do do they have life with Jesus? Will I see them again? You know, it's of infinite importance that you answer this question now, that you respond to the invitation to receive resurrection life through Jesus. I'm going to pray and I'm just going to offer us a chance to respond. I'm not going to call you out or anything, but I'm just going to pray a prayer. And if you kind of feel like maybe you've been sitting in that moderate category, Jesus is of moderate importance to you, I want you to have a good, long, hard think about whether that's really where you want to be. Maybe you've been sitting in the, in the no importance category. I want to just provide this opportunity now for you to respond to Jesus. And for those who, you know, Jesus is at the centre of your life, keep going, you know. Just get stuck into him every day. Feel yourself. Fill yourself with Jesus and allow it to overflow out of your life and into the lives of of those around you. Because the the truth is, folks, we've got some chairs here that need filling, (laughs) all right? And um, it's going to be the overflow of the life of Jesus out of your life and into other people's lives that's going to see hungry broken, lost people come to salvation. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for we thank you for the life that we have in you. We're just so glad, Jesus, that you are the resurrection and the life. We're so glad that you bring dead things back to life. We're so glad, God, that you have a plan to to remake this world and to remake your people. We're just so glad that, the, that, that, that death is not the end, that it's actually just the beginning. The beginning. And so, for those of us here this afternoon who I guess have seen this Jesus stuff as something that's either of no importance or, or, or something that maybe we haven't fully surrendered our life to. Lord Jesus, would you just just impress upon the hearts and the minds of those people who are listening that you are the way, you are the truth and you are the life and that no one comes to the Father except through you. Reveal yourself, Jesus. Reveal yourself to hearts and minds, we pray. And if you just feel you need to, I guess, close that old chapter of your life and start a new chapter, Alive with Christ, then why don't you just say that to him right now? Why don't you just say, Jesus, you know, I have been sitting on the fence. Jesus, I have been hostile to you. Jesus, I've been allowing my hurt and my baggage and my selfishness and my my anger and my insecurities, I've been allowing all of those things to, to dictate and rule my life and I don't want those things to be my prince and ruler anymore. I cast them before you, Jesus. I just ask that in your mercy and your grace, you take my filth, you take my shame, you take all the garbage in my life and would you put it in the tomb and would you leave it there, Jesus? Would you carry my sin upon the cross? And Jesus, I look to you to be my Saviour. I look to you to be my life. I look to you to be my resurrection. I look to you to be my King and my Prince, my leader. Ah, oh, there's nothing more special <laughs> than born again, new life at Easter. Ah, oh, do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Birth that new life. Thank you, Jesus. Oh. Yeah. We praise you. You only you can do. Only you can birth that new life. So we give you glory, honour and praise. We say we love you. May we live for you. Fill this church, fill the people, the believers in this church full of your resurrection, power and life. Lord God Almighty, may it spill over out of our lives, into the lives of others. May we carry this message with us and bring words of truth and words of hope into the conversations we have with friends. Jesus, we want you to rub off on others around us and we give you permission to use us in whatever way you see fit. We are here, we are ready and we are willing and we want to see your kingdom come and your will be done. And so we praise that. We pray that in your name. Amen.